It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Scott Schwefel, CEO of Discover Yourself. After starting, growing, and selling three different multi-million dollar businesses, Scott now delivers keynote speeches and trains CEOs and executives in selling skills and leadership throughout the world. From 1990 until 2003, Scott built and sold Benchmark Learning, Minnesota's largest technology training company, and then from 2004 to 14, he built and sold Insights Twin Cities to Insights Global in Scotland. He also learned lessons on life and leadership as a Tech Vestige member from 1995 until 2003, and he's published four books, I Think I'll Stand Up, Get a Job Fast, GPS for Success, and most recently, Discover Yourself. Today, Scott and his team deliver increased sales, profits, and productivity in some of the world's best companies, while himself traveling globally, training teams, leaders, and salespeople, speaking to thousands, and reaching millions more via his live seminars, videos, and his TED Talk. If asked, what's your dream job? Scott would say exactly what I do now, teaching people how to communicate better with each other. Scott Schwefel, welcome into the corner office. Glad to be here, Brent. Uh, great to have a chance to chat with you again. We met in Oxford over the summer at a very, very exciting retreat and uh, had the chance to get to know each other socially as well. But uh, great to welcome you onto the show. And we always kind of like to start at the beginning. And that's telling us a little bit about your early family life. Tell us, uh, you know, kind of where you grew up, what mom and dad did and what those early years were like. Interesting. Love to share that with you. I, uh, I'm, I'm an Air Force kid. Ah. So the early part of my life was uh, a lot of moving, right. and um, as a result, a lot of having to meet new people. Back uh, 50 years ago, you didn't wait till the summer to move. You just picked up and moved anytime. And uh, right. so I had uh, probably six or eight different experiences being dropped as a young kid in a new school, Wow! And, um, trying to figure out how to connect with people, how to make friends. I think it's probably why I do the work that I do today. Yeah. Yeah. Was that all domestic or did you have some overseas assignments as well? Uh, as far away as we got. Uh, was Hawaii. So still wow. domestic, but um, uh, as a young man, uh, as a young child, I spent three years uh, while my father was at Hickam Air Force Base. So quite an experience. In fact, I didn't see snow until I was eight years old. Right. And now I've lived in it ever since. Right. Brothers and sisters? I've got uh, an older sister uh, who was actually yeah. born in Wisconsin, where my parents were originally from, and a younger sister who was born in Hawaii. I, in fact, was born, again, near an Air Force Base in Texas. Right. Right. And mom worked from the home, helping out as the as the many moves came along, or did she have a career as well? 
She started out as a nurse and uh, for a period of time when my dad was in the service, uh, was home with us. But then when my dad retired after eight years, uh, my mother took a job as a, as a nurse and it was a night shift. So it was a really interesting transition being raised largely by my mother till about yeah. age eight and then coming home from school to my dad who, um, you know, I joke a lot with people that my mother has since evolved from uh, being a nurse at the time to a psychotherapist. And so <laughs> yeah, you, you know where this is going, right? So she would practice on the kids learning how to be a psychotherapist. In fact, one of the f- funny jokes we have as a family is she would always say, you know, honey, how are you feeling? And the kids, we'd all say, great. And she'd go, how are you really feeling? And we'd burst into tears <laughs> with no idea why it was happening. But I, I had two very different parenting models, right? I had Ooh, Captain Schwefel, who uh, was life by the book. And, uh, and then my mom, the psychotherapist. So it's a really uh, two different sides probably of who I am. Again, another reason probably why I do this communications work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to get into that and hear a lot more about it. Dad was career military, so retired from there as well, or did he go into the private sector? At some he point? went into the private sector and became an attorney and in doing oh, so wow. moved us back to Wisconsin. So I feel like I've got some roots back uh, growing up outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, as a result, kind of see that as my home. It must have been hard kind of going from place to place, uh, time to time, different schools, making different friends. How did your academic life uh you know, do in those periods of time? So did you feel that was hard to kind of get recalibrated each time you went in or did you kind of get used to it and make that transition every, every time? you moved? I think I was lucky to be gifted with some smarts. And um, <laughs> in fact, maybe to a fault in that I didn't really apply myself very well. And I pretty consistently got A's in everything. And, uh, wow. uh, you know, through middle school, I would get that report card, which was straight A's. And I really didn't do much to get there. And as a result, I would get unsatisfactory effort in most of my courses. My mother used to just <laughs> really bored. get after me. And I would say, I've got straight A's. What do you want? And she'd say, I want you to try. And I'm like, look at the grades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look at the results. What were some of the lessons that you took away from mom and dad growing up? Um, uh, from my mom, kind of that, the motivational side around, um, you know, you can do anything. She used to read, right. uh, what was it called? The Little Engine That Could. Oh, yeah. You know, as kids, she just, of course, that was her on the way to becoming a psychotherapist, but it was just all about <laughs> you can do anything, you can become anything um, as long as you think about it. So, I mean, we used to literally chant out of that book, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Love and that, I mean, that sticks with me today by far. Yeah. What about dad? You know, my dad was really about, although he, it, it, he was very much process and structure and discipline, what I really picked up most from him was integrity. Mm. Um, he absolutely, absolutely was, um, lived a life of high integrity and really, um, nurtured that in, in all three of us children, right? Do the right thing for the right reason when nobody's looking. Yeah. Love it. What about some of the activities you did in school? You know, any sports that you enjoyed, theater, music, debate? Well, part of my mother's career was, um, uh, becoming a nurse at a private high school, um, okay. called Wayland Academy. And so a fairly high-end college prep school that happened to be located in the small town I lived in uh, outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And as a result, I could go there for next to nothing as a townie. So, you know, growing up in that small town environment and suddenly being dropped into a college prep school with kids that were from, you know, 80% of them international and um, um, from a lot of uh, diverse backgrounds. um, A lot of wealth around the world. It kind of opened my eyes to a whole different um, model of how people could live or how people could show up. I mean, I remember one of the gals received a jet, um, as a graduation present. 
<laughs> that doesn't happen yeah, every day. And not um, one that she you know, fly so I came around, from a much uh, more reserved background. In fact, there was only about eight of us in the school that were townies and that had some parent uh, in some capacity working at the school. So it was just an eye opener to me about sort of what's possible in the world um, and really got me thinking, you know, sort of above and beyond a traditional connection um, That's awesome. to the type of life that I would lead. But it, it opened me up even more to what's possible. Tell me a little bit about the decisions you made with regards to going to college, Scott. How did you, uh, you went to Concordia, is that correct? Or was that your undergrad? Well, undergrad, but I actually was originally registered at Madison, UW. Oh, and um, okay. in part, because every other member of my family went there, it was nearby and it was a state school. Um, I had a girlfriend that was a year older uh, who went to Minnesota. Okay. And so I went to visit her when I was a senior in high school. And as I was paying for college myself, it really was my decision. And I, in getting away from that small town um, and kind of seeing a different perspective uh, through the lens of Minneapolis-St. Paul, I came back and shared with my parents that I've decided to switch schools. And this was literally August, the beginning of August in the fall of when I would have started. Right. So um, big transition. But for me, it was a chance to kind of get out on my own. I wanted to go somewhere and, and sort of figure out who I was on my own. And uh, Minnesota was a great place to do that. So I, I enrolled in an engineering curriculum, which really was wow. looking back a mistake. Um, again, being good at math and um, uh, having an aptitude for that area, I thought that's what I should focus on. Um, what I realized after two and a half years and uh, after getting a job at Honeywell as an intern, I didn't have any interest in being an engineer. And I switched over to Concordia College. Now it's University of Concordia to uh, go into organizational development and communications which is a perfect fit for what I do today. Yeah, you know, you went right into organizational behavior and I, one thinks that maybe some of that, you know, work at home and obviously your mom's and dad's career, did, did you kind of feel that you kind of had that personality and, you know, wanted to really go and help people in their organizational behavior? What, what, what kind of led you to that? Well, I think a part of it was um, in, in leaving engineering, I, I had an opportunity to, to join and then eventually um, through kind of a leveraged buyout, um, by the training uh, arm of a computer sales business. And it happened to be at the time, 1991, 92, when network training, computer network training was really taken off. And, and a part of it was right place, right time, um, but also recognizing the opportunity to spin that part of the business out um, allowed us to grow from uh, literally three, four $400,000 a year in revenue to almost 12 million in an 11 year period. And while I was uh, involved in running the business at that time, I became a student, you know, kind of the student I wish I would have been in college, but I began to become a voracious reader of business books and audiobooks. At the time, it was cassette tapes. You okay. couldn't get in my car without listening to a book on business. I also joined Vistage, which was an amazing opportunity. I was one of the youngest persons to join the group and it's CEO membership group, largest in the world. And through that, I was exposed to a presenter or a speaker. Um, every month for literally six or seven years. And a lot of what they presented were personality type assessments, mm. models and systems to figure out self and figure out others. And, and through that experience, I realized that's what I loved and that's what I wanted to do. Awesome. Awesome. That was benchmark learning, yeah. right? Was that the company that you started? And, and so you pretty much didn't work for anyone else from the day you graduated, right? You went right into your own business? Well, it's a joke in our family through my sister, who's an attorney, my dad, who was an attorney, all self-employed. Um, we schwafels don't work well for other people. 
It's, uh, <laughs> you know, even if I look at my, 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 my father's siblings, there's just something about not wanting to be told what to do. Right. Right. And did you end up selling that business then? Or how did you make the transition to, uh, the next? Uh, I did. I did. I, um, an interesting, interesting component to it was we had just insane growth until January 1st of 2000, you know, mm. rocketed up to almost 12 million at about 55 employees. And when Y2K hit literally that first week or two in January, 40% of our revenue for the coming year canceled because wow. so many big businesses felt like they'd been taken advantage of by these insane IT budgets to solve the Y2K issue. Which, to right. be honest, without spending the money, there would have been massive issues. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know how many of you, the folks listening will remember at the time, but there's a whole lot of people that wouldn't get anywhere near an airplane or um, a train right. for fear That's that right. the entire system was going to shut down. And without having it yeah. all fixed, that would have happened. But um, it just right. left a bad taste in the mouth of a uh, of, of big business. And our revenue in one year dropped from 12 to 7 million. Wow. And the next year down to about four and a half. So for the first time in my career running businesses, we had two layoffs in one year. And we were really at a point, I had a minority partner in the business with me, um, hoping that the only other computer training business in town who was owned by a billion dollar company would come over and buy us and save us uh, from ourselves. And they literally came over. It was a father and son. And they dropped a book on our desk and said, "Um, uh, we're for sale. You're the only guys big enough to buy us. Well, we didn't have a nickel at the time. I mean, we literally poured everything into the business. But it turned out we recognized that they had pre-sold almost a million and a half dollars of training, which if they would have just gone out of business, they would have had to refund. So we ended up coming up with a deal that benefited both of us. We took over all of their employees, all of their revenue. And suddenly in one transaction, we were back to 11 plus million in sales and profitable. Cool. That took a couple of years and we had to live through uh, 9-11 while that was happening. So it probably the toughest couple of years I've ever had in business, but the result was we were solid, had the ability to sell it. And we, I sold it to new horizons, uh, here in Minnesota, another national computer training firm in 2003, which let me take a year off to get ready to start the business I run today. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did you make that transition? Cause you kind of left the computer technology feel from there, correct? Well, and I wasn't in there on purpose. I'm fairly technically minded, but it just it yeah. just so happened I ended up there and happened to have success. One of the things I learned and a lot of the reading I've done and kind of one of the, the, the main themes in the book that I wrote about it, also, by the way, called Discover Yourself, is mm-hmm. I was good at what I was doing and doing well, um, but I wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't passionate about being a business leader, you know, or a business manager, not just of a computer training business, but any business. I I had right. developed this passion, I felt, for wanting to present and speak to people about these themes on communication, right? How to become your best self through connecting better with other people, which makes you a better leader, better teammate, better salesperson. And I had enough passion around that that in the early years of Benchmark, one day after a motivational speaker triggered this thought with me, I wrote on the bathroom mirror, I want to be a world famous speaker. Mm. Writing on the mirrors become a thing in our family to position what we want to be thinking about. And my wife saw it and challenged me and said, really, are you sure? Because you're not very good at that. (laughs) That's Linda, right? I was keeping my feet on the ground and she was right. I was petrified to speak to groups. And she said, why would you write that? And I said, it's going to sound crazy, but I just feel like it's my destiny. Like that's what I, I believe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And she said, well, you better practice. 
because <laughs> you know you're not comfortable talking to five people at a time and that was the evolution of it so while running benchmark i began to teach sales training courses at night using different personality assessments as part of it so almost totally separate from my day job i began to engage in the work that i knew i wanted to do for life back in about 1995 how did you first get involved with the personality assessments? When did that come? I think a big part of it was through Vistage. Um, you know, there was speakers that would come in and they would present a content or a topic, and it was everything from disc assessments to Myers Briggs to Predictive Index to Traycom to Social mm -hmm. Styles. And each time I saw one and learned more about myself, I just couldn't stop thinking about my organization. And then, mm -hmm. what about every organization? How do you not help your people in a company understand themselves to that level? and then understand right. ways to communicate better with each other. So while I was running the computer business, I actually became certified um, to teach MBTI, Myers-Briggs Temperament Indicator, and, uh, and while running the company, taught classes in that using that assessment, as well as using a, a couple different DISC assessments as well, and kind mm -hmm. of learning how to present, learning how to facilitate, and, and, and ultimately becoming comfortable speaking to hundreds and now thousands. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, did you kind of go on a public speaking, you know, uh, paid public speaking um, engagements and so forth? Or was it always in support of your business as you were building this? It started in support of my business because it was a vehicle for me to learn how to do it. Um, we just offered it as an added class to the computer training types that were coming. And I did that from 2000 till 2003, again, through that tough time I mentioned. Um, but I recognized that nobody would actively um, sign up for a computer network training company to get leadership and communications and team building skills. And so I recognized I had to make a pretty pivotal decision and let go of something that was working to start something mm -hmm. that um, was unproven at that point. But um, mm -hmm. as soon as I started doing it, um, one of the things I did is go back to Vistage um, because while being a member, I just remember watching the speakers come in and thinking every time a new presenter came in and thinking, these people are so good at what they do. They teach CEOs what they know. And then that was the opportunity for me to say, I believe I now know enough about this model. And I've been in their chair. I was a Vistage member for 10 years. Right, and so right. speaking to Vistage was the very first way in which I went out and launched our business. That's awesome. So Discover Yourself has been around since Jan 2004. Give us a little bit of a you know snapshot of where you are today. How many employees how many testings, you know, tests are you doing? You know, where do you touch? I know you're global in terms of your operations. Yep. Give us a, a, a thumbnail sketch. So the company that we've represented that whole time is called Insights Learning and Development. They're a Dundee, Scotland-based global organization who created the assessment, and it's become the one that I love to use. Um, so over the last 20 years, almost 20 years, we've become their largest distributor in the world. So we have a global presence in part because of the pandemic. Interestingly, we used yeah. to be very much of a regional business expanding to somewhat national. Um, and we had some great growth. We were an Inc 5,000 fast growth company, uh, two years in a row. And then the pandemic hit and we like many, many businesses, almost like reliving 2000, um, took a significant drop in our business. We were all face-to-face -face events. And I remember in um, February and March, at the start of the pandemic, we probably had um, almost a million dollars of face-to-face -face events cancel on us. Yikes. And it was real tough. That's the bad news. The good news is I'd lived through Y2K. I'd lived through a business being just um, hammered by the current yeah. environment. And so it wasn't, I didn't go at it with fear. I, I, I went at it with irritation. I, I wasn't worried mm -hmm. I was going to make it or not. Um, I was wishing I wouldn't have to go through it. But what happened is it started to be 
um, the world of Zoom, the world of virtual programs. And at right. the time, we were supporting almost 200, about 180 trainers around the world, and all their business stopped face to face. So I stepped back and said, well, if this is going to work at all, the only thing that we're going to be able to do for some period of time is online training. And so I Mm. um, began to reach out to those 200 trainers and three or four days a week, I would conduct train the trainer workshops using Zoom. And quite honestly, at the time I started, I didn't know how to use it better than anyone else. But I realized if it was going to work, that's the only way it was going to work. And all of a sudden, we began to get traction. And then the traction became just a firestorm of, of demand, not just because it's so easy to pull virtual teams together, but because virtual teams don't even understand how to work as a team. They barely knew each other. And today, even many remote teams have never met each other in person. And because of the work we do and the nature of uh, building communication skills and and strong team building um, tool sets, it's become absolutely uh, the best time to do the work that we do. So our best year prior to COVID uh, was about a two and a half million dollar revenue year, and this year we're tracking for almost five. That's fabulous. And and how much of the business is still virtual? Seventy five percent. Wow. Yeah. So you've really changed your model then, based on the pandemic. Very much so. And we could have never converted clients to think or behave this way, where they could simply just say, "Let's pull." 100 people together. I've had programs with 300, even one with 700 virtually. You know, and you think about the cost and the um, the work it would take oh, to get yeah. 700 people together in an auditorium Crazy. versus yeah. dialing in and logging in. And the experience for what we teach is is quite honestly almost as good as in person. We've, That's we've, great. And are the, are the clients seeing the results the same way, Scott, as they did? Oh, before? absolutely. And there's been there's yeah. been a move towards some that say, let's get them back. I was just down in Arizona and I did a, a big keynote for 300 people, which I, you know, I love those types of events. Um, and so there, there are those face to face. But also for me, the business has now changed a little bit. And part of it because of where you and I met, that conference in Oxford really had me come back and think about after 20 years, you know, what's the next five or 10 years look like for me? Right. And I recognize that I can't be the guy flying 200,000 miles a year and doing all these deliveries as much as I love it. So just two months ago, we hired our first full-time facilitator, a really talented young guy named Luke. Um, And for the first time ever in October, someone delivered more programs than me inside our business. Wow. Congrats. So that's a big And that includes Linda as well, though, right? Because Linda's also uh, on the team. She has, but not as much. We've always had a kind of a nice balance. Um, for her, it is more of a lifestyle business. It isn't that we need her to do it two, three days a week. She's less, um, adapted to the virtual environment because there's a certain tech skill, as you know, um, that you have to have come with it. She loves being in front of people. And so she'll do maybe one a week and I'm now evolving to where I'll do about one a week, but three of them, two or three are going to be virtual. And, and how many employees today and, and broadly how many, um, you know, speakers and facilitators. We've got 15 full-time equivalents in the business right now, uh, most of which are remote around the country. And we work uh, with a network of about a dozen contract trainers who are, I believe, some of the best in uh, not just North America. We've got two or three over in Europe. Um, And then again, Luke being full-time with us, doing the brunt of the core delivery that we do. But the big part of how we scale our business is we now have over 300 what we call client practitioners. These are trainers who work inside large organizations who get certified to teach the discovery model. Uh, In fact, I'm one of about 70 faculty in the world that teaches many of them how to do what I do. 
and we become their exclusive distributor of the assessment and the tools we use. That's awesome. And how many clients do you touch annually? Oh, wow. Great question. I would say uh, probably three to 400 because some of our clients are big multi-million dollar, billion dollar global organizations. And many times, you know, because of our our history with Vistage, we do work with a lot of small and medium organizations, 50, 250, 500 people. And uh, in those types of organizations, they typically won't invest in getting a trainer certified. So we do most of the training for most of their people. Right. And Scott, for, for those of us that are out, for those of our listeners that perhaps don't have as much experience with assessments and kind of know what it is that goes on, what, what are some of the key benefits that clients receive from the kind of training that Discover Yourself does? So a big part of it is tied to the, uh, the assessment that we use. And I say that having been through literally everything. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about StrengthsFinder as, a, as a, a, a vehicle inside their business. And it's good to learn a little bit more about yourself. But I haven't found it to be something that helps me understand you if we're working together on a team. Right. Um, Myers-Briggs, similar. It's a little more complicated for people. And again, remember, I taught it for over 10 years. But right. for me to figure out which of the 16 types you are is next to impossible. And I, I know as much about it as anybody. When I, when I stumbled onto Insights Discovery, it was in 1999 at a computer training conference of all places. And a guy named Doug Upchurch delivered it to about 300 of us. And I looked at my operations mm. manager and her eyes bugged out. She ran over to me and said, do you finally understand me now? <laughs> and I realized I wasn't using what I was teaching. And it was because it was mm. too complicated. Discovery mm. and what we teach is a simple four quadrant, four color model that anybody can understand and anybody can use because of that simplicity. But inside the profile is a level of depth of personal understanding that I think for some people, for many people, is really profound. You know, who they are at, at a core level, how they're wired, how they make decisions, how they see the world. When you couple the depth of that part of discovery with the simplicity that says, as you know, one of our primary tools is a set of foam blocks people stack on their desk and whichever colors on top says, this is the way to treat me. This is the way to manage me, work with me, mm. sell to me. You know, during the pandemic, also one of the things my wife and I did to help keep generating connection and interest with our client base is we started offering our workshop for couples. And mm. I tell you what, you want to have some fun. Go back and look at some of the recordings with 30, 40, and 50 couples in um, more of a couple's happy hour environment, right? Everybody was remote online, but just helping them see each other through the lens of our model to, to right. create better relationships um, was one of the things that not just helped sustain us, but helped generate and maintain interest in what we did so that when the work um, teams came back virtually, we were the first people they called. Yeah, fabulous. So it's all about discovering yourself, just as the name implies, understanding what motivates you, what are the key behaviors that you use and you, and you work in the world, mm -hmm. and then being able to communicate that to others so they know how to work better with you. Is that pretty much some of it? A hundred percent. And I, I, I truly believe, and I've still looked at every other model available in the world, um, the simplicity and the power with which you, know, um, you can use the discovery model. Because the goal is not just, oh, I've been through something and I understand me. The goal is... How about 200 times a day I make better connections with people? How about every email I send is a little better? How about, how about the voicemail message I leave for somebody is intentional? It, there's a lot of brain science behind it, and people's awareness of it is where the power of using it comes from. Fascinating. And is there measurement tools as well that, be, uh, it, that you're able to measure the effectiveness of the uh, uh, of the use of the program? Yeah, uh, we, we can do an engagement survey at the front end before working with a group. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we'll work with larger organizations that sometimes 
um, conduct engagement surveys quarterly. And one of the things that we know discovery does is impact that metric. People are more connected and more engaged and rate engagement for themselves higher after a discovery workshop. Yeah. Scott, it would seem to me that, you know, given that we are now in a much more of a hybrid workspace and, you know, I see this in my recruiting business, uh, you know, even on LinkedIn now, you know, when you post a job, it's like, is this remote? Is it online? Is it, is it, is it, is it hybrid? Do you have to be in person. Do you, do you believe that this kind of tool will really help people a lot more, particularly given the fact that we are working a lot more remotely and, and certainly connecting in very different ways than we did pre-pandemic? I think it's a completely different world, to be honest. One of the things that we've recognized is, you know, for 30 years, Insights used to say, 35 years, actually, a major life change or a major career change could change your results in the profile. Right. And in the last right. two years, every person on the planet's been through that. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it's just really a whole new ball game, And I'm, you know, amazed being someone who lives in the environment of a virtual connection with people, how many people are not aware they're not making connections at all. Yeah. And when you think about the power of teams working together and the recognition that, you know, you're online with somebody, a third of the people don't even turn on their video. Um, another half of the people are looking sideways. Right. Uh, human yeah. connection is really, really struggling and maybe suffering right now. And that's what, that's what we bring. We bring the ability to have some fun and engage and talk to each other and get to know each other well, to work better together, to deliver better results. How has your leadership style changed by, you know, getting to know yourself better through these years? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I used to make an attempt to be the type of manager or the type of leader that I wasn't. I looked around mm -hmm. at a lot of people that were very structured, process oriented, measured everything. And again, I learned a lot of this through Vistage and, uh, and in the profile, you know, my results showed the same thing. I was trying to be someone I was not. I was trying to be a very thoughtful, structured, analytical leader. And as a result, I used to come home exhausted. Just literally, <laughs> because it, I, you know me, it's not who I am. And when yeah, I, and when I began to understand myself through the lens of these models, especially discovery, I began to realize it's okay to bring your natural self to work as long as with a level of awareness, you can lean into other people's style but so many times, 95% of the time when I work with people, the one thing we see in their profile is that they are trying to show up in a way that is not natural for them. And for most mm -hmm. of them, they're trying to be the person they're not. And that's the, wrong, that's the wrong mindset to have. And part of it is because there's certain traits and skills and preferences people don't show when they're younger and people tell them they should. So they adopt that as the way they think they need to be. And really, what everybody needs to figure out how to do is bring their most authentic, instinctive, natural selves to the work that they do, and at the same time, stretch just a little bit to be more like everybody else when they're with them. Scott, how does you know company culture play in? You know, uh, there's so much importance in, with regards to, you know, the, the the culture of the company, and the people need to adapt to that. And you know, do you take any kind of allowances for that, or how does that kind of play into uh, you know, the, the, the discover yourself model. Well, one of the things starting at that CEO level, you know, Linda's a Vistage speaker also, and together we've trained probably 4,000 CEOs um, at least. And so we start at the top inside an organization. And if we get buy-in at that level, we know we've got an opportunity there. If we don't get buy-in at the most senior levels of leadership, you can't bring us into an organization because it's right. going to ultimately bump into somebody who doesn't believe it. But the interesting thing is I think our clients come, come at us one of two ways. They view this as an employee perk almost. 
hey, let's do something that will really benefit our employees. Hmm. Um, you know, we're doing well, we can afford it. It's going to be a great event. Or they come at it and say, we're struggling. Our yeah. business is not where it needs to be. We've invested, we've cut wherever we can, invested everything we have. We can only do more with our people. What can we do to get our people more productive? Right. And so the, the way that showed up for us is in 08, 09, when a lot of companies struggled, we grew 20, 25% every year. In fact, we never dipped in revenue until the pandemic. And wow. we moved from this is an employee benefit to you got to invest in your employees if you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, what do you look for when you're hiring people to come into your organization? What's important in terms of what you uh, you know, are, are trying to identify to uh, bring people on, to, on board? I would say one of the main things is we wanted to be joining us on purpose. Hmm. We don't want somebody that just wants any kind of job because of the nature of the work we do. A lot of people reach out and say, in my other company, I went through discovery. I'm amazed at the work you do. I love the work that you do. That's the, the vast majority of people that reach out to us. Yeah. Um, I'd say right behind that, I want to find somebody that wants to work on purpose. Not just that they love the work that we do, but that they they have a plan for themselves, a career for themselves. It's um, the book that I wrote, uh, Discover Yourself, is really about a twenty year process of the very first conversations I would have with employees before hiring them, and it evolved into that book. And the message has been the same the whole time. It's it's all about becoming what we think about. And if I'm going to bring in a new employee, I want them to be thinking about what they are thinking about. I mm. want them to have a plan for their future. And I've had uh, probably half a dozen people that outgrew the business I had at the time to start something on their own. And I, I celebrate launching someone you know, to become a CEO on their own because the environment that I had them in wasn't the one that they were going to be in long term. Mm -hmm. So benefit while I can and help launch them. In fact, what I say to them is if, if I've got a real star player that I know might do that, I tell them to come back to me to invest in their venture. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What what kind of interview questions do you like to use when you when you try to probe in those areas? Well, what it's evolved to now for a lot of people is I invite them to read my book. It's free. It's online. I mean, you can buy it as well, but it's also an audio book. Right. And um, it's amazing how many don't. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm interviewing for a job and the owner says, read this book before we get together, <laughs> you know, um, you're out. Right. Because I just, I, I want to know you're committed. I want to know you want to understand the philosophy because that's the philosophy I use to run the business. Yeah. And it's uh, it's such a simple model. It's It really is that people become what they think about. And I want everyone in our company thinking like they own it. I want them thinking like a CEO, acting like a CEO, um, you know, putting their kind of heart and soul into the business um, so that they recognize they can have an impact on our success. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Scott, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests, and that's what kind of career and life advice would you give someone who maybe has their eyes in their own corner office someday? Um, well, uh, two things. One is uh, everybody's already a CEO. Um, that's one of the things that I always share with people is that, you know, whether you're 10 or 60, whether you're working for somebody or not, you are in charge of you. You make a decision every day to go into work and trade your skill set to somebody for a W-2 paycheck, yep. or you truly are self-employed. But in any case, every decision you make is up to you. Every single day is a choice to be the one in charge of, of your success and what you do. Don't wait until you get the title CEO. Give it to yourself now. Look in the mirror every day and say, I'm in charge of me. I'm going to go do this job for this amount of money. Because after a while, you look in the mirror and say, I think I'm worth more money. 
I think I'm going to go into work today. And because I'm in charge of me and I'm delivering high value and I'm a learner, I'm going to ask for more money. And if they don't give it to me, I'm going to go to someone who does. That's the first piece. And the second, I would say, is if these principles seem kind of new to you, download my book. It's free. The audio book is also free. And it just really helps you, uh, helps anybody come up with the plan that lets them be that, be that long-term self-employed CEO doing work they love that they're good at that pays them well. Where can they find that? Can they just Google Discover Yourself book? and Yeah, just well, um, discoveryourself.com slash books is where you can get everything there for free. Uh, and I, and I, I just, I believe so strongly in that message. I'd really encourage you to go take a look at it. That's great, Scott. Well, listen, Scott Schweifel, CEO of Discover Yourself. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Absolutely. Um, glad we ran into each other in Oxford when we did. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.